Okay, so um, looking here, we're going to go through the first six verses of Revelation chapter 12. The first six verses of Revelation chapter 12, talking about Israel, Satan, and the church. Revelation chapter 12. Now, we've got kind of a lot of information to get through today, and it might get a little bit thick at certain points, so uh, just kind of listen listen carefully here. Um, Looking at at your outline, and, and really... We want to start with the first six verses. Let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 6 of Revelation chapter 12. It says this, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should should feed her there a thousand and two hundred and threescore days. Now we'll stop our reading right there. Um, This is one of those, like I said, this is one of those panoramas. Uh, There's a general narrative, a general chronological flow to the book of Revelation, but that flow is interrupted periodically to get visions of other things. There's some other things going on. And so this is sort of a, it's sort of an interlude here where John is being shown another vision. And what we have here is essentially a panoramic view of time uh, from really the birth of Christ forward through the tribulation period with a lot of stuff missing in the middle. Um, we'll, we'll get into this. There, there are, and here's where we talk about the rapture of the church um, there are a lot of people who would say, well, the, the rapture of the church uh, must be uh, mid-tribulation uh, or a pre-wrath rapture, perhaps, because we find it here in the middle of the book of Revelation. And that's not necessarily true. Just because you see something in the middle of the book doesn't necessarily mean that it's, being, it's found within the same time frame as stuff that you've already read. Uh, so it can, it can, it's, it's not strictly a chronological flow. As a matter of fact, there was a, uh, there's an argument made by uh, Dr. Mike Spiegel, Dallas Theological Seminary, and, and that's what I'm going to set forth today, that you actually, in Revelation chapter 12, see a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Uh, and this was a theory that I was first introduced to about four or five years ago. I've since studied it out, molded over, chewed on it, and... Um, I think he's probably right. And so now it, it, we don't see in a lot of our modern commentaries that this is the way that they think. But apparently uh, many of the early church fathers on down through church history, if they had you know, mention of this passage, they were uh, talking about the rapture of the church, did see a pre-tribulation rapture here, more recent. And I say more recent. Um, if you can call uh, Dr. H.A. Ironside recent. You know, first half of the 20th century uh, held to this view. Dr. Henry Morris also espouses this view. Um, 
but it's, uh, it's I, and we'll get into it here, I think very reasonably sound exegetical uh, argument for a pre-tribulation rapture. And, and when we come to other things that the New Testament says about the rapture of the church, then we're, uh, it kind of adds to it. But um, there's a few people that we want to acknowledge in the chapter so far, just in these first six verses. Uh, first of all, number one on your outline is this glorious lady is the nation of Israel. That's nobody else. Uh, there are commentators here and there in the past who have suggested, uh, well, it's the Roman Catholic Church, and what you see with the birthing of the man-child is, uh, is a church coming out of a church, and uh, there's other people who say, well, it was the early church, and the, the man-child that was birthed is symbolic of the, of the, uh, of the Bible. Um, but I think if you're going to look and see, remember, anytime we see an image in the book of Revelation, it's not the first time we've seen it. So uh, most of it is in the Old Testament, with some allusions to in the New Testament elsewhere from time to time. But uh, this lady is the nation of Israel. And if you've been following along in that handout that I gave you by uh, Dr. Arnold G. Fruchtenbaum, he's got uh, quotes and allusions all throughout chapter by chapter, verse by verse, throughout the book of Revelation, uh, where it's connected or talking about things that occurred in the Old Testament. Okay, so uh, there was a, a handout here that uh, kind of breaks down, uh, or, or I had a handout prepared. It was an article that I downloaded um, by Dr. Spiegel on actually all of the places in the book of Revelation that people see the rapture of the church, and that is the, the taking up of the church. The dead in Christ rising first followed in almost an imperceptible amount of time by the, li- by the living in Christ or the alive in Christ. So uh, I-, I was going to run that off and provide it. I may yet, I'm still hemming and hawing over that because it's a 44-page article. Okay, so it takes, it's, uh, you need to read it with a careful eye <laughs> because he covers all the bases. If, if, uh, a lot of the people that I quote or give to you, even though there may be certain points that I might differ uh, with, uh, they're, they're very thorough people. Okay, um, nothing is as disappointing to me as to pick up a book that someone has written on a subject, however large or small the book may be, and to find out that the, it's basically drivel. So, uh, I, and Revelation is one of those books that deserves very careful scholarship. Um, but the woman here is being depicted as Israel, the nation of Israel. And like I said before, when John sees these things, he's seeing the actual image that he writes down. But we need to figure out what that is symbolic of. And what we see here, um, I believe Fruchtenbaum also notes Genesis 37, verses 9 through 11, hold the key. And let's go back to Genesis 37. And just that little brief account there in verses 9 through 11, it says this. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, said unto him, uh, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? 
And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. He kind of, he, you know, dad, <laughs> he kind of thought about it for a little bit. Dad knew the promises. And there might be something to it. This could be something. But, um, but it wasn't really well received. And so we have here sun, moon, 11 stars, adding Joseph, that's 12. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an allusion back to this. Um, what we see of the woman. Joseph's dream uh, identifies both the sun, moon, and the stars, counting Joseph himself. Twelve stars. The sun and the moon depict the fact that she is God's chosen nation. The chosen nation. Which is true of Israel. It's still true of Israel. The nation of Israel has a national future. Um, Number three, some have suggested that she represents the church, but the church didn't provide the genealogy of Christ. The nation of Israel did. And if we look at the next portion of our outline here, we'll get into that. Jesus Christ is in view here. So I haven't spent much time with this because um, really as far as conservative argument goes, uh, people who, who have a respect for the scripture, there's very little uh, if any, variance on the, sim- the symbolism here. But letter B, in the context of this persecution, the latter half of the tribulation period is specifically mentioned. That 1260 days where it says God has prepared a place where she'll flee and will be nourished 1260 days. So it's kind of scattered out into the wilderness from Jerusalem. You remember that halfway point of the tribulation period? Antichrist comes, walks into the temple, proclaims himself to be God. And from that point forward, it gets very, very, very nasty for the Jews. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, hey, when you see that happen, don't even pack a bag, just go. And so what we have here is a context of persecution. Uh, there's Satan, who is persecuting the woman, who's uh, attempting to persecute the man-child, and then who is uh, going to persecute Israel. That first three and a half years of the tribulation period, he's not going to persecute them. As a matter of fact, that first three and a half years, they're going to mistake him for Messiah. And when we talk about Antichrist, uh, in the coming weeks, we'll talk about a couple of theories. Um, and, uh, and I do have a, a, a favorite, but uh, not as far as his identity is concerned, but just the way in which he'll, he'll come and present himself. Now, uh, the woman will be deceived into thinking that Antichrist is the Christ. Somebody just real quick grab John 5.43. John 5.43. So the woman or the nation of Israel will be deceived into thinking that Antichrist is the Christ. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, Jesus is talking about I've come in the name of the Father. You haven't received me, but there's going to be one who comes in, in his own name. You're not going to have anybody's word for it but his. Uh, but. Uh, you're going to believe him. A little prophetic uh, allusion there to Antichrist. And they're going to buy off into it for that first three and a half years. It will not be until the midway point that Antichrist starts to persecute Israel. And so here, within the context of a persecution, we see that there's going to be um, this latter half of the period. And at that time, they will flee to the wilderness for, uh, for 1,260 days. We kind of talked about that a little bit. 
uh, and, and we'll get into that in the future. But we're just talking about basically identifying the symbols here. So the woman is the nation of Israel. Now what I'm going to say, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to wait on uh, filling in number two there. I want to do letter A first. Okay. Um, letter A here under point number two. The symbol of the male child obviously refers first and foremost to, spill it, Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus Christ. The Psalm 2 quotation is unmistakable. That's where you get the, the he will rule with the rod of iron. You know, that's where you have that, uh, it's a messianic psalm, but all the nations are going to be ruled by him. He'll rule with the rod of iron. And the woman, ultimately Israel, here that we just saw the woman who's ultimately Israel, has secondary application to Mary. You know, Mary, at the point where she gave birth to Christ, sort of embodied in that one instance all of Hebrew history. Really, if you think about it, uh, because this was uh, the genealogy for which Christ would come, and uh, God told Abraham right off the bat, your seed is going to be a blessing to all nations. And Christ is a blessing to all nations. We start at the beginning of of, of Genesis, those first 11 chapters, with the whole world in view. And then from chapter 12 on up to the cross of Christ, you have primarily Israel in view as the centerpiece of Scripture, but other nations are mentioned as they have communication and, and, and action with Israel. And then by the, you know, after the resurrection, the, the, the Hebrew emphasis is, is diminished. They're no longer uh, seen, it's no longer the focal point there, and the New Testament opens everything back up to the world at large. So... Uh, and it does, of course, maintain promises for Israel. But uh, the woman being Israel, the man-child obviously being Christ. But now I'm going to say something that's a little bit different. Um, and like I said, uh, many of the early, early commentators held the view that I'm about to espouse. Uh, Ironside and Henry Morris also uh, And so we read, or it says this basically in in point number uh, two here on your outline, the child is a corporate entity. It's a corporate entity. More than one. First and foremost, Jesus Christ. But also the church. And here's why. Letter B. The church, as his body, is also in view. The church, as his body, is also in view. First of all, it gives us a consistent interpretation of the symbols. We have already two instances in this passage concerning corporate entities. The woman represents the nation of Israel. The dragon represents Satan working through world governments. We'll take a closer look at this a little bit later on uh, as a final point here um, in, uh, in the chapter or in the lesson today. But the woman represents a corporate body, Israel. The dragon represents a corporate body, Satan, 
really working through the world systems as he always has. But uh, number two here, in, throughout the New Testament, we see the union of Christ as the head and the church as his body. Now we're going to look at these, uh, everyone, essentially saying the same thing, though. 1 Corinthians 11, 3, Ephesians 4, 15, 5, 23, and Colossians 1, 18. says the church is indeed the body of Christ. So uh, there is a, there's a, an affiliation there. And if that's all we had, it might not be enough. It wouldn't be enough, really. But let's keep going. Revelation 12.5 contains an allusion to Isaiah 66.7 and 8. So let's, I want to read here uh, Revelation 12.5. Just again, real quick. It says here, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Well, if we go back here to Isaiah 66, and there's, a, there's a, an interesting trick with the Greek that John has here, and I'm not going to go into that today. Uh, if you're interested in the article, please let me know, and I will run it off for you. But um, to run off enough would have been like 200 pieces of paper. But Isaiah 66, and here in verses 66... Here in verses 7 and 8 of Isaiah 66, it says this. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Now, before she travailed, she brought forth. Before the pain came. Okay, possibly uh, another reference to the time of Jacob's trouble. So before the persecution started, she brought forth a man-child. Who, who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the, earth be, uh, shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travaileth, she brought forth her children. So in the first instance, it says she travailed and brought forth a man-child. But then down here, in a restatement of that or an interpretation of that, she says she travailed and brought forth children. So now if we look here, uh, the passage shows the image of a son, a single person, interchangeably with the idea of a nation, a corporate entity. Now here, having an immediate, uh, of course, reference to the nation of Israel, but uh, talking about Messiah, talking about the church. Now, the Old Testament prophets did not see the church, particularly as we have it today, the body of Christ being indwelled with the Holy Spirit. There was some beating around the bush and some hints, but really it was a thing that was largely overlooked in prophetic vision. But so just to go back over, this passage shows an image of a son, a single person, interchangeably with the idea of a nation, a corporate entity, and it says uh, that nation, uh, that a period of time is necessary to complete the imagery. It says, is a nation born all at once? Did the earth bring forth all at once? And so there's a little clue here. And John actually, with a little, uh, I'll tell you, if you're interested, I'll give you the article. But there's, there's an allusion here made back that, that John's readers would have understood to Isaiah 66. In further support of this idea, Daniel 7, verses 13 through 18, equate the Son of Man with the saints of the Most High. Let's go to Daniel 7. 
Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Verses 13 through 18, we read this. I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man came in the cloud, or came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Uh, what's he, what, what have, where have we seen this already in this study? Where have we seen one like the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days? It was Revelation chapter 5, wasn't it? Here he took the scroll from the man on the, on the throne, from the God on the throne. Verse 14, And there were given to him dominion, and there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. Now, here's where it gets interesting. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess it forever, even forever and ever. So he said, well, there's the Son of Man coming to take the kingdom. What's the meaning of that? And he's told, well, there's four kingdoms that are going to be, and of course he's referring to the other imagery that we see here in Daniel, the four beasts. We see it in Revelation, four beasts, the fourth one, greater than all referring simultaneously historically to a Roman Empire, prophetically to a revived Roman Empire, which will be headed by Antichrist. But uh, here again, Daniel equates the imagery of the Son of Man and is told flat out the interpretation of it, saints of the Most High. doesn't specify which saints. There are Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. However, uh, not all saints are church. That's important to recognize. And so right over here in Revelation, we get something of a, of a refinement of that vision going on here. A study of sainthood in Scripture would be an interesting thing to do. Um, so there's this idea here that, a, that a, a federal head can be used to represent a corporate entity. It, it's, it's actually quite common in Scripture. But Jesus himself opens up Psalm 2 imagery to the church. He opens it up to the church as well here in Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. Let's go back here. Revelation chapter 2 and verses 26 and 27. Here he's dealing with the church of Thyatira. And he says this, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as vessels of potter shall they be broken to shivers. Um, so Jesus himself says, you know, that, that messianic prophecy, I'm going to open that up to the whole church. He told, uh, you know, he told us, uh, we, we've also seen, 
you know, in, in Revelation 3.10, because thou hast kept the, work of my pa- the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world and try them that dwell upon the earth. It's talking about the tribulation period. Every, every letter to a church is ended the same way. Let the churches, plural, hear what the Spirit has to say. And so these, these are promises made to distinct historical churches. But basically, Jesus says, hey, um, what's good for one of you is good for all of you. I'm just saying. Everybody should learn. As a matter of fact, when these things were headed out, the, the seven churches did not receive their seven letters separately. This whole thing would have been packaged up. It was one writing. The whole thing would have been packaged up and circulated to all seven of them. So they're all reading this. How would you like to have, how, how would that be? Think for a moment. If you got a letter telling you not only everything that was wrong in your church, but everything that was wrong in the church, other churches around town, <laughs> from God, you know? Uh, just by way of practical application, I think there's something in that for us here. Um, there, there, there really isn't such a thing as a perfect church. If you, if you get fed up with one problem in one church and you go over here and move over here to another church, you're going to find that maybe they've got the same problem, maybe they've got a different problem. But it's going to be not too long before you get fed up with that problem and move on to the... Uh, uh, Pastor Keith Rife said to me, uh, he, he, said, he said, there's one thing you need to understand is that folks are always looking for a perfect church and they'll never find one. He, he said, uh, he said um, don't ever look for a perfect church. You'll never find it. And if you do, don't join it. You'll ruin it. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty, uh, but so Jesus uh, opened up the Psalm 2 imagery to the church as well, right there in, in the second uh, chapter of the book. But the phrase caught up is translated from the Greek, harpizo, actually. Uh, the Latin word for harpizo is rapturo. That's where we got our, our English word rapture. It's the same word used in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, where it talks about the church being caught up. To heaven. It is a violent word, really. It means to snatch, to carry away all at once, very suddenly, has been used to describe uh, in ancient literature, been used in the, in the uh, context of kidnapping. <laughs> um, it, uh, it means to carry away, to snatch up suddenly, immediately, and carry away. So now let's, let's look at this here. If the, if the man child here is envisioned in, we'll go back to Revelation chapter 12, if the man-child is envisioned here as being caught up to his throne, now he's seated at the right hand of his father, and here earlier in the book of Revelation, we saw the 24 elders, probably representative of a glorified church that were seated on thrones, around a throne, Uh, it could be, some people think, well, it's referring to his flight to Egypt as a child, you know. When, uh, but the word is never used that way. You know, the only time we see it is to snatch up, to, to carry off. Uh, it, it's a rescue operation, but um, what, are we, what are we really looking at here? We have two other corporate entities, a woman representing a nation of Israel. We have a dragon 
representing Satan as he rules and works through his uh, uh, through the, the the world governments, and we'll take a look at that more particularly here next. But also, uh, we have a church. So if if the if the the man child was simply, you know, represented one person in particular, we would have at least an inconsistency. And, and that in itself is not evidence for the interpretation. It adds to it, but it's not the only thing we go on. Um, but the argument does build. We have the Isaiah 66 reference. We have the uh, Revelation 2, 26 and 27, where that messianic prophecy is opened up to the whole church. We have other instances where it says that uh, he'll return with his saints who will rule and reign with him. And so, and, and Paul, in his letter to, to, the, uh, to the Corinthians, said, why are you taking uh, each other to court over frivolous civil matters that should be decided in the church? You, know, you guys are going to judge angels <laughs> in the future. Why are you taking your cases and frivolous cases, in many, in many instances, to corrupt earthly judges? Your standard of righteousness is higher. You should be deciding this. Um, so there's a great deal of evidence here, but we'll see something else in just a minute. I want to talk about the dragon. Number three, the dragon is obviously Satan operating through the administration of Antichrist. The dragon operating through the administration of Antichrist. There's a connection to that 1,260 days where he'll be persecuted. But let's, let's look real quickly once again at verses 3 through 4. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon their heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, um, letter A, Satan is sometimes seen in Scripture as a dragon. Revelation 12, 9 identifies the dragon as Satan. If we keep, we'll get to these verses next week, but Revelation 12, 9 identifies the dragon for us. It's Satan. Uh, we also see Isaiah 21, uh, 27, verse 1, identifies Satan as a dragon. Number two here, the color red shows his murderous nature mentioned by Jesus in John 8, 44. So that there's no problem seeing the dragon here as Satan in particular, but also um, referring to the corporate entity of world governments. Let's go over here to um, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7 has a large part to play. In this chapter, and I should have just bookmarked this as often as I'd be going to it. But Daniel chapter 7. Verses 1 through 7 talks about the world empires. But uh, down here, let's go to verse 7. It says this, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, 
and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet, uh, with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. Let's keep reading here. And I considered the horns. And behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, the mouth speaking great things. The little horn there is talking about Antichrist. And so there's ten kings, essentially, at least ten uh, represented by ten governments. And uh, right as he appears on the scene, boom, three of them are immediately going to be plucked up. You know, lots of folks think this is the European Union. Um, could be that number fluctuates. You know, sometimes you've got less than ten nations that are involved. Sometimes you've got more than ten, and it, and it fluctuates by two or three every decade or so. And so there's, you know, uh, it could, could be something entirely different. But the little horn plucks up three by the root. Now look at uh, verses, also verses 20 and 24. Same chapter here. Uh, but it's, it, it provides the symbolism for the revived Roman Empire. Verse 20, it says this, And of the ten horns that were in his head, the beast, that fourth beast, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. Verse 24, And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. And so there's this idea of Antichrist coming on the scene, and almost immediately he begins this takeover so there's a reference there specifically to Antichrist, <clears throat> but that we have this dragon um, that has ten horns and seven heads, seven heads in a bit. You've got uh, Satan operating through government systems. Number two, the seven heads and seven crowns correspond to the seven hills of Revelation 17, which represent the governments under Satan's rule, past, present, and future, possibly Rome, literally. There's Rome itself has been referred to as the city of seven hills. As a matter of fact, um, um, you know, hear an interesting story. Pastor Mike uh, has a, a, an account of a, of, a, of a Roman Catholic priest who said, oh, see here, Rome is mentioned in the book here, the city of seven hills. That's, that's us. Everybody knows that's Rome. And the fellow he was talking to said, um, have you read what it says about you? But um, anyway, there's a dragon here coming on the scene. Letter C, this provides us with the timing of the rapture in Revelation 12. Provides us with the timing of the rapture in Revelation 12. First of all, the, the imagery links Satan to Antichrist and refers his, uh, to his entire government system in the tribulation period. Because you remember, you've got a great red dragon with seven heads and seven crowns and ten horns. And he's persecuting the woman 1,260 days since he couldn't get the man-child. Because the man-child was snatched up before he could get to him. So there's a, not just simply Satan working through the world system. And, and Satan has always persecuted the church. He tried, to, he tried to get Christ. He couldn't get Christ. He's tried to get the early church. 
He's tried down through the ages to get the church, and yet the link here to Antichrist specifically lets us know that everything that's happened past the birth you know, in church history has not, has not been referred to here. Because it's talking, by, by bringing Antichrist into the picture, it pinpoints a specific time period. You see what I'm saying? The, the church has been uh, going through persecution <clears throat> through Satan's government kingdoms, but by drawing Antichrist into the picture, the imagery then pinpoints a specific time that this is alluding to. Now, we can keep going here some other stuff. The revived Roman Empire is headed by Antichrist. Look at Revelation 17. So this revived Roman Empire, which it's talking about, here's our, here's our link to Antichrist. Chapter 17. We'll look at verses 12 and 13 first. And then 16 and 17. So Revelation 17, verses 12 and 13 says this, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings. That sounds familiar. Which have received no kingdom as yet. John's saying, eh, they're, not, they're not around, or he's being shown, they're not around yet, John, but they will be. But receive power as kings one half hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. So apparently, if we combine what Daniel said, three are plucked up by the roots, Antichrist comes on the scene almost immediately, um, three of them kind of say, ah, and go away, and then later on, everybody else says, okay, hey, you can have it. But then if we look down here at verses 16 and 17, same chapter, it says this, and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire." For God hath put in their, mouth, in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So, the whore, we'll talk about that in just a couple weeks. We'll get, there's some discussion about that too. I don't want to ruin a, a whole lesson <laughs> by trying to cram. But uh, here we go. The snatching of the way of the church, snatching away of the church, depicted in verse 5, before the dragon can devour him, provides evidence for a pre-tribulation church rapture. A pre-tribulation church rapture. Now, furthermore, the rescue of the male child from the dragon distinguishes it from the remnant of her seed still on earth. Let's go back to chapter 12, because I want you to see something. Revelation chapter 12. We're a little bit over here, but I want to make a final point on the board. Revelation chapter 12. And then um, we see here in verse 17, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which kept the commandments of God and had the testimony of Jesus Christ. So there's a, a man-child, a corporate entity there that is snatched up, but there's a remnant of the woman's seed. Believing Jews, believing Gentiles, it says of the woman's seed that they name the name of Jesus Christ. 
So one group of people was taken up. Another group of people was left behind. What's the difference? One group of people was saved before the tribulation period and got out of there before Antichrist came on the scene. The group that was left behind came along afterwards and they're persecuted by Antichrist. Saints again, but not church. We've got to go on here. Um, notice that the man-child is rescued, the rapture, but the remnant of her seed is persecuted. Uh, Daniel 7, no, you can go back and read that later. Verses 20 through 22. The only way you could have a man-child taken up and other saints left behind is if the other saints were saved after the rapture of the male child. So uh, there's other things that the New Testament has to say about the rapture of the church. But uh, that is, I think, a very solid argument from Scripture uh, for a pre-tribulation rapture in Revelation chapter 12. And there's a lot of stuff that I didn't include. I included what I thought we should have. There's, there's, a, there's an exegetical evidence for it as well. Um, if you're interested in the article, please see me. Uh, now, in the article, he does not mention the timing of the rapture. It's just an overall look at what different people think is the rapture in the book of Revelation. 